Today we turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 6, where we complete the story of the fall of the walls of Jericho. We're going to read today verses 20 through 27, and let's give attention to God's holy and inspired word. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted to the city, of the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and her mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent his spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Curse before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild the city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. This is God's holy word. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we give you praise that you are the one who teaches us your ways. And so, Father, we pray that we might see your ways, that we might be strengthened in our hope, that we might have greater patience in affliction, that we might have greater faith that sees you in every area of aspect of our lives. O Lord, we thank you that we've gathered here. Pray that you bless all those here. Bless all those who are watching online. Bless those who are traveling, cannot be with us today. We pray that you would be with them. Bless the celebration of Father's Day that many are having today. We ask, O Lord, that you would use this day to encourage us, to strengthen us, but above all, to focus on you and to see you as our great God who is able to do wonders and make the walls fall. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's so many things as we look out into the world that just seem impossible. Uh, There are evils that we can't seem to solve. There are relationships that seem to be broken and can't come back together. There are dreams that we have that seem to be lost. There are visions that seem like they will never be fulfilled. But do the things have to remain the way they are? Can good triumph? Can evil be defeated? Are we stuck in the patterns we've been in before? Can relationships be restored? Can there be breakthroughs? Can slaves be liberated? Well, the story of Jericho gives to us an answer to that question. And it's a resounding yes. The power of God can, does, and will break through to change hearts, alter situations, open doors, and bring down walls. That's the simple message from the fall of the walls of Jericho. There will be breakthroughs if we will keep walking forward in faith. As the author of Hebrews put it, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. So let's look at this triumph of faith that we see here. And a triumph of faith is really a triumph of God because faith is that which relies on God 
to do things. It's the virtue within us that accepts and receives from the Lord that which he gives. And so a triumph of faith is a triumph of relying on God, and it's really a triumph of the Lord. But it's also a virtue within us that we need to cultivate and develop. And one of the ways God does that is by bringing various challenges into our lives. And that's what we've seen over the past few weeks, is the challenges to our faith that that the story of the walls of Jericho teach us. The first challenge is the problems that we face. In this case, they entered the land of Canaan, and they had a problem. There was a city that was well defended, and that they didn't particularly know how to take. And they needed to see in this instance that there was, yes, there was a challenge, but there was a God who was above it, and it was able to knock the walls down. And that's what's true for us, is that we're going to come as we're in in this life, we're going to run into various difficulties, opposition, uh, setbacks, financial difficulties, uh, difficulties within ourselves, and so on, that keep us from being able to move forward. And what I want to encourage you with this message is that when you run into problems and and you see the problems in our world, in our nation, in your business, in your school, in in your family, in your church, or in yourself, that you would learn to see these as not simply problems that cause you anxiety, frustration, and despair, but as opportunities to exercise faith in God, and to see the God above these problems who can overcome all your difficulties. He could eliminate problems from your path, but he has a purpose in the problems, and that is to develop your faith, which is more important than any other thing that he would do in solving the problems in this life. The second challenge of faith comes from God himself, and that is when he tells us to do things that seem like they won't work or are difficult in some way. Sometimes they're so simple that it's, that it's difficult to follow. In this case, they were told to do something that almost seemed ridiculous. Instead of having a, a, a military strategy that would defeat Jericho like they did at Ai, he just told them to walk around the city and really do nothing. Just worship the Lord. See him, hear the call to worship, and see the ark. And that was it. And oftentimes that's what the Lord asks us to do. Is He says to us that, What you need to do is just focus on me and worship me. Keep praying and walking forward and watch me tear down the walls. It may be things that we have to give up, relationships we have to leave behind. It may be challenges to take leadership where God is calling us to take leadership. It may be things that we don't want to do, conversations we don't want to have. And God is saying, go forward and do that. That's the second challenge of faith. And the victory of faith is when we listen to God and do what he says. But then there's a third challenge of faith that we see here. And that is when, when we've begun doing what the Lord has told us to do, that we keep doing it. That even when it doesn't seem to work. I can see the first day they might have been excited, walking around the walls of Jericho saying, ah, it's kind of cool, we're blowing the trumpets, we've got the ark. Then it's like nothing happens. So next day, we're going to go out and do this again? Third day. We've just been doing this, nothing's happening. Have you ever had that experience in your walk with the Lord? You can't see the progress. You can't see the results. You keep reaching out to people, but you don't see people coming to Christ. You keep praying and nothing changes. You keep reading the word and you don't necessarily see a change in your own life. You try to lead and you just face opposition. You try to make a change in your family and everybody's, everybody's against you. 
seems like it doesn't work. The challenge in that case is to keep doing what the Lord has said to do, to keep walking forward, to have patience, to have, have an ability to keep doing what is hard, perseverance, doing the right things, even when there seems to be opposition or it seems not to work. But the good news is that what the Bible teaches is not simply that we're to exercise faith and that just even when it doesn't seem work and that it will never seem to work and we'll make no progress and we'll make no breakthroughs. But the Bible teaches us that when we do walk forward in faith and we keep doing what we are supposed to be doing, what God calls us to do, exercising that faith, that there will be breakthroughs. That he, we are going to see progress. We're going to see breakthrough in our own lives, in our relationships, in our churches, in our communities, in reaching out and building new churches and changing nations and seeking justice. That is what God calls us to. That's what we see in verse 20. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. Through faith. They believed, they kept doing it, and God acted, and he transformed the situation. And they saw that the power of God that they could have known through their minds, knowing he created the world, was available to act in this specific situation, and they were able to move forward. And that's what can happen for us too, is that when we believe, we keep going, the Lord will remove the obstacles. He'll break down the walls. He'll restore relationships. He'll bring justice about. Now, we're going to dive into that and what that might mean for our particular lives. For But I want to talk a little bit more about what happens here because it could be a little bit difficult. The Bible does not advocate wiping nations out. But that's kind of what happens here. It's, they went in and they wiped everybody out. And that's really a hard, hard thing for us. So what is all about that all about? Well, I want us to consider that from... Two angles, God's judgment and then God's mercy. So when we think about God's judgment, um, one of the things that we can see is that it is about, is about dealing with the wrongs that have been done in the world. And our society isn't really that great at thinking about that, but yet it's still a phenomenon that we all experience. Because in spite of the fact that we, we may, when we talk about God's judgment, have some issues with it, and have some struggles with it. The fact is that when we see things in the world, it often makes us really upset. When we see people doing wrong things in our individual lives or in the nation, we see that people are filled with outrage and that they're calling for something to be done and we're calling for something to be done. We want to see action when there's wrong things that have occurred in the world. We watch the news and our blood gets boiling. Uh, sometimes about different things. Now, what I want to tell you is the reason that happens to us is because we are made in the image of God. And God has put within us something that reflects his nature, which is a desire to see right done in the world, and that when wrong is done, to see it corrected and dealt with. That is something that is in us. Now, within us, sometimes that's distorted. That we don't always get angry at the things we should. And sometimes we get angry at things we shouldn't. And we should be careful about just accepting our emotions. 
the way they are. We want to be very emotional people. We want to have really strong emotions that drive us to do good. But the problem with our emotions is that they're not always calibrated to the world. And sometimes they tell us we should be mad at something, but, we're, but it's not something we should be mad at. And sometimes they don't alert us to things we should be dealing with. We need to calibrate our emotions to reality, to a just standard, to be angry at the things that we should be angry with, to not be angry at things that, that we shouldn't be angry with, and to do it in the right degree, to the right time, and the right way. That's when our emotions are operating in the right way that really reflect the image of God's glory and his justice. But that miscalibration can be hard because emotions are loud even if they're not right. So just like in, in amongst groups, the loud people are the people we hear. They may not be right, but they're loud, and so it's hard to ignore it. So our emotions are that way. But what we see is God has, in a way, we should think of him as having that emotion, that movement in, that moves him to do what is right, what is just, and it is strong. And the Bible describes that extensively using kind of images of human beings to describe that. And that's a way we can understand the Lord as reflecting in some way what is in his infinite and glorious nature. But his justice is always calibrated towards reality. He always gets angry at the right way, at the right times, to the right things, the right degree, and he deals with it always in the right way. And one of the problems with that, though, is that, um, is that he also sees the wrong, not only that we get mad at, but also the, the wrong that is actually in us. And so he says, for example, it's not enough that we would not kill somebody, but we also shouldn't be angry at them wrongly or to the wrong degree. And we shouldn't lash out at them and so on. He's saying we need to control the, the inward part to have a just reaction towards our neighbor. And when we don't, and we're filled with hatred or resentment, when we can't forgive, then that is something God stands against, as well as that which we might actually be upset with. And so, God is consistent, and he deals with these things. He deals with them in us, he deals with them in others, he deals with them in nations, imperfectly in this life, not that he's wrong, but not fully in this life, I mean fully in the life to come. And so God judges nations. God buries cultures that have rejected him. He brings down the arrogant and proud. He does not let evil go on forever. And that is one of the problems people have. How can God let these things go on? Well, he doesn't always, and he will in the end. make put it all right. But he does it also in this life. And it's just. Now, if God can judge and bring destruction on those who do wrong, then he can do it in whatever way he wants. He can use a famine. He can use a disease. He can use an earthquake. He can use a flood or he can use a sword. And that's what he did here. Now, that doesn't mean that that's easy. (laughs) So I've made kind of an intellectual argument to, to show you that the justice of God is legitimate. But still, it's kind of like you still read this and you're like, woof. Still seems just like off. And not only is it off in the sense that it's hard for us to, to hear, but it also doesn't even seem to be consistent with some of the other things we might read in the Bible. But one of those ways that it comes together is that for Christians, 
is in the cross. That we see that God's judgment is so serious that he would say, I'd rather bring judgment into myself, God says, through the person of his son, rather than say that evil doesn't matter. So that even when I pardon sin, it still has to be dealt with in the perfect substitute of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the cross speaks to God's mercy for sure, but also to his judgment. And that's what we see in this passage. But we need to wrestle with it. We need to wrestle with God's justice. We need to wrestle with these passages. And there's more that can be said here. And, um, and we need to, to wrestle with it. But you know what's interesting is our culture is one that might have to wrestle with the justice of God. There's other cultures, though, that would have to just wrestle with the mercy of God. When they would hear that, like, some cultures, they're more oriented towards justice. Ours is, at least in profession, oriented towards mercy. And so when they hear that God just lets people off that have done wrong, they're like, what kind of God is that? Or they would say the idea that someone actually has done wrong to you and you let that go, that just seems ludicrous. And that would actually be offensive to them. And so for, for someone from a culture like that, they might have to wrestle with how do we understand this idea that there's a merciful God? So we need to wrestle with the justice and we wrestle with the mercy. And one of these passages we see here is the, and one, one of the things we see here is the mercy of God. Because it's present here as well as the justice of God. Consider the, the city of Jericho. God told Abraham that it was a sinful city that needed to be judged in essence. But he also said, I'm going to wait 400 years until it's full. And then I'm going to bring the judgment on the Canaanites. He gave them time to repent. Because God is also patient as well as just and merciful. And even you can think about this. Why did God have them march around the city seven days? One reason it seems to me is that he was giving them time to repent. They could have looked at it. They could have said, we see the, that God is working here. We humble ourselves. We attacked Israel, as it says in, in Joshua 24. And now we repent and we believe the promises and we come under the shelter of the Lord. And would God have accepted that repentance? Yes, he would have. And we know that because that actually happened in one case in the city. To Rahab, the prostitute. We read about her. When the spies came, she hid them. And why did she hide them? Because she believed God was who he said he was. She had seen his power. And she believed his promises that when he had said, I'm giving you the land, that he was going to do it, and that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. She was a woman of faith, this prostitute, Rahab. And you know what happened? It saved her life. And as it says from the perspective of the author, author, she lives among the Israelites to this day. And this could have happened to all of the people of Jericho. You see that this, ha- this does happen in other places. In the book of Joshua. That people, some of the Canaanites end up being those who live alongside the Israelites. Those, some, some make an alliance with them. And they they're come under the shelter of the Lord. And the first Canaanite we meet in the book of, of, of Joshua is Rahab. 
who becomes a woman of faith and a mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what we see in this passage is that God does judge sin. His judgment is serious. We should not think that we can just go on and act unjustly towards him and towards others and just let it go on forever and that God won't care. There is a real hell and people really go there. But if we just admit that we are wrong and seek his grace and forgiveness, we can be saved from his judgment no matter what we've done. Even if we are a prostitute, God takes sin seriously. But there's also grace and forgiveness if we will just accept God's offer of it through Jesus Christ. This was a statement that Fyodor Dostoevsky, the author of Brothers Karamazov and Crime and Punishment, two of the great novels of of civilization, said to his children because he was a believer. And this is what he wanted to leave them with on his deathbed. He said, My children, never forget what you have just heard. Have absolute faith in God and never despair of his pardon. I love you dearly, but my love is nothing compared to the love of God. Even if you should commit some dreadful crime, never despair of God. You are his children. Humble yourselves before him as before your father. Implore his pardon And he will rejoice over you and your repentance as the father rejoiced over that of the prodigal son. And that's what's available for each one of you today as well. Now, so what are we to do with the walls of Jericho? Well, there's there's a passage here that shows us what we are, how we are applied to apply this to our daily lives. Because this passage speaks of the future and how they wanted them, how Joshua wanted them to think of the walls of Jericho. If you go to verse 26, it said, At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. And so you see... Um, He said, in other words, this city is never to be rebuilt. And if anyone tries it, their youngest is going to die. Their firstborn son is going to die. And that actually happened in the days of Ahab. That someone tried to rebuild the city, and it cost him. Now, why would Joshua do this? Well, remember, when they came into the land of Canaan, this is the first place they encounter. So generally, people approaching from the east... Uh, coming towards the west, as they came into the land of Canaan, would find this as, a, as kind of a key defensive position. And what Joshua was teaching them was that instead of thinking primarily about your defense in terms of your own efforts, you are to learn to see your defense as belonging in the Lord God. That you are to leave this city at the strategic position in ruins so that you can see that God is your wall of fire around you. That he is your defense and refuge, as the Psalms say so often. You see, that is the lesson that Israel needed to learn. Now, they still need to learn it. Even Sometimes they have cities that have wall, walls. And, and other times, he says, it's not wrong to build walls and to have defenses. Because, but even what the Bible teaches us is that unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman watches in vain. He is our defense. He is our strength. And that we're not to look so much to our own abilities and our own powers 
even when he employs those to do things, as he does later on in this passage. But we are to look to the Lord as the one who's able to resolve our problems and defend us in the face of these difficulties. These were, they were to look to God as the source of their defense, their strength, their prosperity, and they were to live like that. That instead of seeing in the future when they encountered a problem in their city or a problem with their family or a problem with providing food for themselves or with their economy or with themselves, that they were to look to the Lord and not to look to themselves. They were to, they were to look to him in faith. More important than having those defenses was learning to trust God in every circumstance because that's what would really get them through. That's what would bring glory to God and that's what would bring peace to them. That's what would set them on the right path. That would be the foundation of enabling them to serve the Lord and become the people he had called them to be. And so sometimes we might wonder, do these types of things really happen today? Is this just a one-time occurrence or will God do it again? Will God bring the walls of Jericho down? Well, tomorrow we're celebrating a holiday and it might be somewhat new to some of you. It's called Juneteenth. And this was, this was basically a, a, holi- a holiday. There were several like this throughout the United States where the liberated slaves remember the day that they were liberated from slavery. This one took place in Texas, and then it kind of spread out from there. And eventually now it's become a national holiday to remember the day that the slaves were liberated from slavery. And this occurred after many, many years. And the slaves for a long time looked to the Lord in faith, longing for the day when the Lord would liberate them from their position of slavery. In terms of them, it seemed hopeless. It looks like the whites had all the power. It looks like even those who were in the free states didn't really even care about liberating them. And it was, it just seemed in the middle of Alabama or Mississippi, there'd be no hope at all. But they got hope from looking to the Word of God. And they didn't write songs to say, man, I hope my master really gets his, um, and I hope he gets wiped out and we get freed. Um, That probably would have gotten them in trouble. But they sang, in essence, the same thing. Like Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down, and many songs like it where they were saying, man, we believe that the Lord can act one day to liberate us from this terrible condition, even though it doesn't seem like it right now. And you know, the interesting thing about the Civil War is that the Civil War was not started with the idea of liberating the slaves. Maybe it should have, but it didn't. And that really, some people might have had that in their mind, but basically it was about Quelling the rebellion in the southern states was the, was the idea. And um, you can look at what they said about it. it. It's not necessarily was in their mind. But then, and a lot of them thought that this would be like kind of a quick thing. But then, as the war went on and thousands, then hundreds of thousands died, and blood was shed and treasure was spent, what well, began to dawn in on a lot of people was that we can't leave this conflict 
in the same, and leave the nation in the same condition in which it was. There needs to be a liberation. And that's what happened. And through the, through the amendments that were voted on. And then the slaves were allowed to go free. In 1855, it didn't seem like that. But in 1865, they went free. And that's the sort of thing that can happen in our world. And a good thing for us to remember on Juneteenth is for us to remember that situations that seem impossible can change. And to believe that people can be brought to a better place and that justice can be done and people can be liberated. One of the people that, uh, that, I, that was liberated, um, kind of that I experienced through, this, through my work in this church, it was not necessarily specifically through her, other than our prayers, was, uh, was Brenda's granddaughter, Ashley. And uh, this, this is an interesting one because she was really had a struggle with, with drugs and, and other things. Her life seemed to be going in the wrong direction. She, was, she went to jail. Um, she lost her daughter. And it was the sort of thing, like, it seemed like just another one of the stories of, that we hear in, so often in Appalachia of, the, of people's lives just being ruined and wrecked by drugs. And, you know, we prayed for her a lot. And Brenda often asked me to pray for her. And then I just remember it was kind of like, in a way, God, it went out of my mind for, for, for like a couple years. And I remember just asking, hey, how is your, your daughter Ashley or granddaughter Ashley? And it was amazing. Her life had been totally turned around by the grace of God. She had, been, she had left all those things behind. She had, had her daughter restored to her. She was involved in church, ministering to those who were in that same position she had been into. And then she got married and she graduated from college and now she's moving forward. Someday we need to bring her here and have her tell her story yourself. But that was just one of those things like it was prayers that I had forgotten. But the Lord had not forgotten. And he worked and he acted. And that's a reminder to me that even when a person seems to be in a place that it doesn't look like it'll happen. Like it'll change. The change can happen through the grace of God. Another example is sometimes we might get a vision to do something big. And it, may, and it may seem like there's no resources for that or how's that going to come about. Well, last summer, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, maybe the biggest miracle I've seen, but it was a really clear evidence of God's work. My friend Rodrigo had come into, had gone to the University of Iteso in Guadalajara, Mexico, and he was a Mormon. And he did not know the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And he, but he was befriended by some folks from Campus Outreach. Some of the students you see here are from Campus Outreach. They have an organization there in Guadalajara, Mexico. And they, they, took, they spent time with him over the course of the next year. And finally, he became a believer in Christ. And said, my salvation is all of him. My hope is all in him. And then he began to grow in that. And by the time he graduated, even though actually he had amazing talents, like the stuff he was doing uh, as far as his, his business mind, like could have led him to, you know, like the Fortune 500 companies. He was, 
really, really great in that way. But he, he was, and I said, are you sure you don't want to do that? He said, no, I am called. I want to do for other people what my friends at Campus Outreach and ultimately God did for me back at the University of Atesso. The problem was he needed to raise a bunch of money in order to be able to do that. And there he is, you know, a student from Mexico, just graduating from college. So he came here where there was a lot of evangelical Christians. And he says, I'm going to ask him. And he started going places and the Lord just opened up door after door. I remember he came, came back to my house. He lived with me for six months too. Um, and he survived that, which is also a miracle. No, I'm just kidding. So um, but he, he, uh, he, he, was, he was at a soccer game. He started having a conversation. This person started supporting him for like a certain amount every single month. And just, to, just meeting there. And I remember the day, uh, the, the night I was already, already kind of in bed, heading to bed. And he came in and he says, I just got a commitment from a church. And now I have enough. I can go back to Guadalajara. And the Lord provided. And when the Lord gives a vision for things, we may not know how it's going to work out. There were moments where he was like falling into despair. He didn't know how it was going to work out. But he, his faith kept trying. He kept moving forward. He kept circling the walls. And the Lord provided for him. He made the walls fall down so he could go in and minister to the people at the University of Tesso, and that's where he is. And I'll tell you, this summer, he was supposed to come up here for several months. Um, and uh, he got to the border, drove to the border. He said, you can't go beyond 40 miles. And this was Arizona, and we're more than 40 miles from Arizona. So he couldn't come in. But I, you know what? The Lord told me, or, or he told me, he said, I met all kinds of people this summer in a way that I never had during the school year. And I'm like building all these relationships. And it's like, it's clearly seeing the purpose of the Lord to connect with a whole bunch of people that, was there, that were there. That's what God keeps doing. And that's what God can do for us. When we see the problems, when we see the difficulties, when we have people we're concerned about, when we have societal issues we're concerned about, when we have a vision to do something, we don't know how we can do it, the Lord can bring it about. This is what Jesus has said. Most assuredly, I say to you, John 14, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's the confidence we have. We don't have to rest in despair. Heaven's open. The power of God's available. So let me just say two quick things in, in conclusion. So uh, some of you might know, not know these details, and, and I don't think you need to. You can pray for our church. We've had some hard blows recently um, in our church, and we're still not exactly sure how all that's going to work out. And I just want to say, I think that this passage has a real lesson for us. You may have already thought about it, but I'm going to say it. So what do we need to do? We need to see the problems we've experienced, not primarily as about the people involved, not primarily about the difficulties we've experienced, but as about, the, about God who is testing our faith. And that he's calling us to trust in him, that he, has, that he is working through the church, that he, is going, that he is reaching out to people in this community through it, and that he will keep doing it, and he will show us the way, and he will lead us, and he will provide the power. That's the thing that is the most important here. More important than any other outcome you might experience. 
But secondly, we need to keep walking around the walls. And it's not just about walls, it's about meaning. We need to keep doing what the Lord has told us to do. The Lord has called us to, to be a place where we are building people, we are receiving people in love, building up their faith, or helping them to come to faith, helping them to grow in love for the Lord and for one another so they can be equipped to serve the world. We need to keep doing the things that will do that. Keep praying for people. Keep worshiping together. Keep meeting together. Keep keeping each other accountable. Keep challenging others to do bigger things. We need to keep doing the ministry that God has called us to do, even when sometimes it may not seem to work. And that as we, as we do that, we can trust that the Lord is going to give us breakthroughs. We don't know what those will be. We don't know what that will look like. But the Lord is going to help us. He's able to do far above what we ask or think. And for all of you, I hope that whatever problem that you see, whatever you're staring in the fa- staring you in the face right now as an issue in your life that you feel is insurmountable, I hope that you walk away from this story remembering that even when it doesn't seem like you can have hope, you can have hope. There is hope that the, when the walls seem high, the enemies seem strong, and the problem's insurmountable, that there is a God who can overcome them. So instead of despair, I hope you remember the next time you're facing one of those problems. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Thus may it be. Amen.